You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Man, that was a great time of worship. I just want to thank uh, Josh, who's a friend of uh, Dr. Randy Deal, uh, our associate pastor. Didn't he do a great job this morning leading? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I'm encouraged greatly just by this church, and I want you to know how much I love you as a church and a family, and it's an honor every single week to get up and preach and teach, and this morning I'm teaching about uh, this topic of giving, and I think it's so important. I want to give you a couple of reasons why I think it's important. Uh, Specifically, I'll just share from my own life, Um, topic of giving, um, I didn't grow up in a family that taught me really, really well about giving. So when I was um, began to grow in my faith, I became a Christian around 18, and uh, I began to hear about it, and it bothered me. And in fact, I had a very, very low-paying job, and I was afraid to give because I didn't trust God would take care of my family. And uh, through the process of growing as a Christian, I've seen, I've seen some of the joy and the delight in that. So I want to share with you why I, I believe it's important, and specifically for me. I think giving kind of takes off this greedy edge. More, 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 more. When you give, it, it, it takes off that greedy edge. I think a, another thing that giving does, it's kind of an invitation into greatness, it's an invitation to trust God and to see how he's going to provide and how he's going to work and do great and wonderful things. I think giving is something that uh, it kind of, it fights the mindset of materialism. It, it, it fights that. And I think that's a good and godly thing. I think giving helps us control contentment. I think well, contentment is a big issue uh, more and more, I found this research about Oxford University did a study on giving from between 1959 and the year 2000. Giving in American churches was in decline, while personal consumption expenditures of Americans increased eating out, toys, sports, entertainment, travel, uh, casino gambling, recreation, and stuff. Just stuff, stuff, stuff. When we give, it, it helps control and combat this discontentment. It helps us in that. I think giving also for me personally, it helps me stay in a humble position where I'm trusting the Lord of the harvest to take care of all my needs as a family. Um, giving is something that Jesus is noted for. Jesus is the greatest giver of all. Jesus taught about giving uh, 25% of uh, his, uh, roughly 25% of his words in the Gospels uh, talking about leveraging resources for God's glory is, is there. In the Gospels, there's 28 passages that refer towards giving and, and uh, using your money in a way that honors God and through generosity. Old Testament, New Testament, there's 800 verses. So there's this massive giving theme. And when we talk about the root of riches, we're trying to understand, we're trying to help you understand what's at the root or the belief system of, about wealth, money, and riches. Jesus was incredibly rich. Uh, Jesus uh, is in heaven and he sits on a what? Somebody said it. Jesus is in heaven and he sits on a what? A throne, yeah. Poor people don't sit on thrones. Uh, Jesus is rich. He's a high king of heaven. Uh, uh, In heaven, it's described with all this incredible wealth um, that the streets are paved with what? 
gold. I mean, there's so much gold, let's just pave the streets, you know? It's like God is incredibly uh, rich and he's the greatest example of using his wealth and his riches uh, to serve and to bring honor and glory uh, to God and to uh, serve for good of people. Jesus left the wealth and the riches in heaven and humbled himself and became a servant. He, he became a, uh, worked vocationally as a carpenter's son, uh, as an apprentice to Joseph. He was financially by all means poor. He paid taxes. He gave to others in need. Jesus uh, humbles himself and dies on a cross giving up his life. Jesus is the greatest example of this. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's theology, how he understands the timeless truths of scripture to be applied towards this topic of wealth. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul is on a mission to establish more churches. And what he's doing is he's going to be challenging the church in Corinth, which is a wealthy church, to contribute towards the mission that God had called the Apostle Paul to establish churches throughout the, uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And so there's a church in Macedonia that's a very poor church that's giving above and beyond sacrificial, I mean, beyond their means, like giving so much that it's by an outsider looking in would be like, this is unhealthy. The way you're giving, you could hurt yourself. Don't do it. And they're held up as the example of this incredibly sacrificial, generous group. Meantime, there's a church called Corinth that has a lot more wealth, and the Apostle Paul is challenging them to, as a church, a congregation, to understand the importance of giving, not just as a church, but also as a Christian. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to read the passage, and then uh, we'll work through and understand kind of the purposes that go behind giving and then principles for it. So if you would go ahead and stand, and we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. And then next week, we're going to follow it along. So anything that... Uh, provokes your mind or thinking and maybe questions that are not answered here this morning will be more fully explained next week because this is a three-part series. So again, uh, the, this is what it says, 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church of Corinth, challenging them to give and live a life as a giver to fuel mission, to fuel opportunities, uh, not only for God's glory, but also for their good says this in verse six, it says, the point is this, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. This is the word of the Lord, amen? You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we pray for your work to be done. Help us to understand the purposes of giving. Lord, and also the principles behind it so it instructs us as a church and specifically as Christians, followers of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. When we give, we help support three things. Number one, we help care for the poor and the needy. 
Uh, this has been something that's been going on for the beginning of the church. It's a characteristic of all Christian churches. It should be there. It's this continual outreach. And what I mean by this is mercy. This is not uh, anything else but just literally helping to alleviate the poor and the needy uh, in a community. Um, we do this at our church. We do this thing called the Hope Offering. Um, in every year we've been doing um, uh, work to help minister to people in need. We bring hope to the hopeless. Uh, this church has done a good job. I'm encouraged to report over the last uh, four years of this church's existence, we fed over 2,000 needy people uh, in the Deer Valley uh, community. Um, we've helped uh, reduce uh, bullying in schools. We've done a lot, a lot of good work in this uh, church. And uh, many of you have contributed towards the hope offering, and that's what this goes towards, uh, helping minister a portion of that helps to minister to the poor and needy, uh, not only locally, but also globally. When you give, you help support this local and global missions. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. That doesn't mean just an American nation. It means all nations. And so when we give towards the hope offering here at this church and as in churches all around the world, there's this, this call that the apostle Paul's even calling for. He's calling the church in Corinth to give so that the gospel can move from Corinth all throughout the Roman Empire, parts of Europe, and even to Spain is where he's headed. And so he, there's this call upon the church constantly to be thinking beyond these walls and beyond a campus, beyond an expansion, renovation, all that is how are we doing towards advancing the name and fame of Jesus among all nations? And giving goes towards that. All giving uh, towards our hope offering fuels local and global missions. Um, I wanna pull up a, uh, and share with you on the hope offering uh, today's the last day uh, for us to give towards that. Uh, I'll show you, uh, we've got a number of initiatives that we're hoping to work with in Phoenix. Uh, we've just made a partnership with a church called Phoenix uh, Bible Church, uh, downtown uh, Phoenix. And uh, Tim Birdwell is the pastor. Jaya is his wife. He's a, a, a Dallas Seminary student, a friend of mine. Um, we're friends with our, our, our uh, church as well and our leadership, and they're ministering to refugees to poor and needy in Phoenix. This hope offering that you give towards goes to serve the poor and the needy in our own city. Additionally, the hope offering moves towards Los Angeles. We have two different churches that we helped uh, financially support through the years. I mean, by God's grace, listen to this. Over the last four years, we've given over $40,000 towards church planting alone. Can we celebrate that? That's huge. That's huge. Uh, just to put that in proportion, I heard about a church recently that was doing an $8 million campaign uh, towards campus expansion and renovations and all that, and they were going to give 100000 towards church planting. And I'm like, we're, dude, we're four years, and this is a mega church, and we're four years old, and we've already given like uh, $40,000. I'm like, we're crushing that. We're crushing that. So by God's grace, thank you for, for contributing and believing and giving hope to the hopeless and spreading out 
uh, missions, uh, local and global mission initiatives. Dominican Republic, we're sending a team over there. We've partnered with a, a learning center where there's uh, needy children uh, that are in great need, uh, impoverished families and orphaned children, uh, and we're bringing relief efforts to those kids. Uh, we did that last year, and we'll do it again this year. And uh, I'll share more about that with you in, in, the, time, in the time to come today. Additionally, I'm, I'm taking a, a small team to Nepal in September where we've helped start 10 churches and unreached people groups who literally never heard the name of Jesus. The high uh, priest will, will bathe himself in human ashes and call upon powers of darkness to give healing to uh, their witch doctors, in a sense, to the people in the village. These people are coming to faith in Christ. Girls are leaving. Uh, there's also a sex trafficking issue there that they're, they're literally robbing kids and young girls out of the mountains of the villages in Nepal and bringing them into the city of Kathmandu and pimping them. And so there's been a church movement. Jesus has been moving through the hearts of these indigenous leaders. They're coming to faith in Christ. And there's these spontaneous churches that are starting to grow like crazy up there. And our church got behind it. And we, last year, we helped plant 10 of those churches. So now we're gonna go. So any of you that are brave and desire to go towards that or you wanna give towards that kind of work, please do. Hope offering ends today. Um, so... God's been good. God's been good through you, praise God. We are like the church in Corinth, but praise God, this church is more generous than most churches with wealth. And so let's continue in that trajectory. I'm encouraged by that. Number three, ministries uh, with local churches. Uh, this is something that is a praise as well. Like um, in the New Testament, it always talks about the importance of taking care of the local ministry leaders and the people, uh, fueling local ministries. When you give, there's a general budget. This helps us pay the bills. This helps us keep full-time ministers on staff. This really, really helps. This is really important in your giving. Um, I'm encouraged to hear as well, just that we've been able to expand our local ministry. We acquired a nine-acre campus, and uh, we did a strategic initiative called Area of Influence, and we invited uh, uh, all the new uh, people to join and participate in that. The church has grown by over 100 uh, people, adults, in the last year, so it's grown quite a bit. We went to two services, and we're feeling the growing pains. It costs more money to rent more theaters. We've got two extra theaters every Sunday morning. We rent out elevators extra. And um, at the same time, though, we invited you to help us renovate the campus. We had over, and I want to celebrate this at the end of this, we have over 30 new families that have participated in the area of influence uh, initiative to help renovate and speed up the timeline. And we, they've given, these 30 new families have given over $38,000, and that's enabling us to start our renovations and construction on February 1st, no later. So can we celebrate that? Yeah. So here's, here, I'm encouraged just to hear what God's doing here at North Valley. Uh, the biblical, uh, we're on track. Let's, let's continue to do that. The hope offering fuels that care for the poor and needy, fuels local and global missions. And it fuel, you guys have been giving towards that area of influence to increase uh, ministries and our ministry impact here in this valley as well. Um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about five principles for giving. 
Number one, the first principle that we're gonna see from the apostle Paul is he says this, he says, the point is this, that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Giving is like farming. The apostle Paul has this mindset that God is Lord of the harvest, that he controls everything and that he's in charge of everything, and that we're to just manage and be like farmers to take care of what he gives us and use it for good and godly purposes. And he promises that he's going to continue to provide, especially for the faithful farmer. And so uh, look at the, the, the language here. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. On a literal interpretation of this, you could see it as a farmer who, if he had a sack of seed and he's spreading seeds, if he spreads a bunch of seeds, there's going to be more growth. There's going to be more vegetation. Uh, As a kid, I grew up on what we call the rice ranch. It was more of a recreational ranch. It wasn't a working ranch. And every summer, my dad would drive the John Deere tractor and we would uh, work on 20 acres of property. And the boys would all follow Dan on the John Deere, and we had uh, we were uh, we were tasked with these big sacks and sp- and seed spreaders, and we would spread winter wheat to prep the field for the winter time. We had a bunch of horses, and uh, what we would do is make sure we get the fields ready for the horses in the winter. Uh, additionally, what we what we learned early on in this uh, experience of just trying to take care of our horses was that the doves love to come and eat the excess grain. So, as a hunting family, we had a lot of fun. We had lots of dove, and it turned into an annual big dove hunt as well. And what we realized is the more seed that we planted, the greater the harvest would be. And there's this principle here that the apostle Paul points out. I've got to say, I interpret this scripture as two things. One, what it does for the church when we're giving a little or when we're giving a lot. And then two, what it does for the Christian. So let's look at it specifically first as the uh, church. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um. Specifically, the Apostle Paul has in his mind that if the church in Corinth contributes generously, in a sense, there will be an exponential impact in the ministry of church planting. He's got in his mind, contextually, that he's going to continue the work of establishing, starting, and strengthening churches throughout the Roman Empire. So at some level, on a corporate level, as a church, when we're generous, uh, let's go back to that hope offering uh, slide just for a moment. We have incredible impact in Phoenix. We have incredible impact in Los Angeles. We have incredible impact in the Dominican Republic, and we have exponential impact in Nepal. Does that make sense? When we're giving and we're investing into works of ministry that are good and God glorifying, there's a, there's a harvest, there's an impact. Does that make sense? And so the apostle Paul has got to be thinking about that, but at the, at the, as well, because of the context of the passage, it also, it says something about the Christian. So he says this, whoever, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And look, whoever, he's talking about a person, right? Whoever so sparingly will also reap sparingly. If you give a little, don't expect a lot to be given back to you 
potentially by God, you could understand that. And whoever bountifully, whoever sows bountifully, invests, gives financially, will also reap bountifully. So let me tell you an example. Uh, my son, Sam, he is 11 years old. Uh, several weeks ago, or um, excuse me, several months ago, we did a teaching message uh, out of the book of Acts on Barnabas. And we were working through uh, the first few chapters in the book of Acts, which will take uh, several years for us to finish the entire book of Acts. And we came to Barnabas and he's talking about crazy generosity. And Sam had received about 20 bucks. And he says to me, dad, I got 20 bucks, but... Um, I don't know, I'm praying about giving and we've taught our kids to tithe. It's to give 10% of everything that you receive. And he said, so I guess I would have to give two bucks. But dad, if I give two bucks, I won't be able to get that video game that I want. And I said, well, hey, Sam, listen, man, uh, you know, I'm not gonna put a lot of pressure on you. You make the decision what you wanna do. And I said, that's a cool story. Do you mind if I share with the church? Uh, and he said, uh, well, no, no, no. He didn't, he, he didn't know that I was gonna share that with the church. But I thought to myself, man, that's a cool story. I'm gonna share that with the church. So, so I get into service and uh, I tell the story. I say, look, you know, giving is a tough thing. I understand for some of you, especially you didn't raise up with that. You know, just this morning, my, my son received 20 bucks and he was gonna tie, but, you know, and, and he was challenged, challenged with, do I give two bucks? Because if he does, then he can't get something else. So he decides to go ahead and give that. I didn't know about it. Goes ahead and gives the $2 on a Sunday morning in the offering. And uh, I tell the story. And then after first service, uh, somebody comes up to me and says, hey, did your son give the money? I said, yeah, I think so. And she said, cool. Because I received $200 about a week ago, just spontaneously. I believe it was just like a little miracle from God. And God woke me up last night and told me to go ahead and tie that 200 bucks and give 20 bucks to whoever uh, God opens a door for me to encourage them in their trust in giving to God. And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And she says, I wanna give this 20 bucks to your boy. And I, she says, but I don't, I don't wanna give it to him because I definitely don't want him coming back for more. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, he might come back for more. Yeah. And she said, I'm gonna give it to you, but don't mention my name. And I said, man, I, I, love, I love this. This is so cool. So I mean, I'm a dad. I'm happy. I'm so excited about what I just got to teach my son. Sam, you gotta trust God. Just, just who knows what's gonna happen, but it's obedience, trusting God. And I left it with him because it's not dad making the decision. It's, it's Sam's heart. So Sam is in kids club. And after first service, I come up to him. I said, hey, Sam, did you, did you give your two bucks? He goes, yeah, yeah, I gave him two bucks. I said, dude, you never guess what happened. Somebody heard this story, they heard this, and they felt like God wanted them to give 20 bucks. And he goes, 20 bucks? And I, he said, for me? And I said, yeah, for you. And he's like, who is it? I was like, I can't tell you. He was so encouraged. And then he's like, dad, what do I do? Do I buy more video games? I'm like, ah, Sam, I wouldn't. I don't, you, you just gotta pray about that and make the decision. He goes, he, then he said he's smart. He goes, dad. Let me do the math. If I give this 20 bucks, does this mean next week I'm gonna get a lot more? I was like, no, 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 no. I don't think it works like that, bro. Like, don't, 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 don't do that with God. Like, he's not like a, a slot machine. You put in money and money comes out, you know, because we know that doesn't work most of the time, right? So motives matter, uh, wrong motive. If I give to gain, that's wrong. If I give to gain, that's wrong. The Apostle Paul is not talking about what many have called a prosperity theology. 
Um, prosperity theology is a theology that many modern day preachers preach, and it says this, that if you are rich, it means that you're more righteous than the poor. If you are rich, it's an indication of God's financial favor on your life. Um, that's not what Paul's talking about here at all. Motive matters tremendously. If you're giving to just to gain personally, you don't treat God like that. He's the Lord of the harvest. Uh, he loves to give back to those who have the right motive. The right motive would be this. If I give to obey, that's okay. That's really good. You give to obey. You trust God with it. You say, God, you're in charge. Everything I have is yours. You're the Lord of the harvest. And so this morning, we're going to see that this takes intentionality. Number two, planning takes off the pressure. You're not to give under compulsion. You're not to give because you're, you, you hear this wonderful message and your heart gets crazy and you just say, oh, I'm gonna shell out a bunch of money. Or I would even caution you when you're on the street or the freeway and you see a homeless person and you just think, well, I'm gonna do my deed. I'm gonna do my, my good Samaritan work here today and just open your wallet and just give a bunch of money. Now, can you do that? Sure, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do that. I'm just saying this is that, impulsiveness is not the sign of, of uh, spiritual growth. Uh, being more planned and more understanding of making a decision, not just with your head, but also with your heart. Each one must give. Here's what the apostle Paul says. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So you don't do it just to like do it really quick then you can find yourself where you're just in a, in a service and you just shell out five bucks here and five bucks there, 20 bucks here and a hundred bucks there. And you feel like you've done something, uh, but then also maybe you gave too much money and then you go home and then you have a fight with your spouse or then you find out you didn't have enough money to commit your pledges or whatever you've already done. And so the apostle Paul says, don't do that. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, um, Additionally, the Apostle Paul echoes and says this. He gives us some instructions, uh, a description of, of what this could look like. He says, on the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of money that you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. He's encouraging a plan. In fact, we are doing a, a, a class right now called Creating a Spending Plan. It's not even on giving. It's just about everything else. How do, you, how do you manage your finances? And you make a plan and you trust God with that plan. So, and the Holy Spirit can work. I'm not trying to, uh, I want to encourage you to think that the Holy Spirit can work in the planning process as well as in the present and the spontaneous. We tend to think that spirituality is more spontaneous all the time, but did God not make the mind? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength, right? So we're to use our minds, use everything, be logical and understanding, be, in, be uh, entwined with God, the, the Holy Spirit, and walk faith steps day by day and trusting him in that. The Apostle Paul, a couple observations on this text. He says... Uh, earlier that it, he directed this for all the churches. So this isn't just for Corinth, this is for all the churches. Additionally, he says it's the first day. It's a regular time and rhythm. Uh, the first day is the Lord's day. It's the day that you set apart. It's like a Sunday. It's the Sunday where you celebrate the Christ is risen. He's risen. 
and, and that we have this joyous life in Christ because he's conquered death, he's conquered sin, he's the greatest giver of all. And Paul encourages on the first day of each week, he says each week, it's a regular rhythm. He's emphasizing that. That's the third observation. Fourth observation, he says, uh, is this, is just notice that it's a call to, uh, it's, it's not a call to bring this offering necessarily to the church. Rather, it's a call to make the decision before you get to the church. It's not something that you do necessarily in the service. It's what happens before you get to the worship congregation. So the worship begins and the planning in the heart of generosity cultivates and should start in the home, at the dinner table or on the couch or in the prayerful conversations with your family, not in this, oh, I came to church, now I feel guilty. I wanna atone for my, my sin and my mess up, so I'm gonna shell out a bunch of money. I'm telling you, that's not what God's after at all. He's not after that. You don't have to atone for anything. Everything's been atoned for. Christ has paid it all. Your giving isn't to get right with God. Your giving is, a, is an overflow of what God's already been doing in your life. And in fact, Paul says, like, he wants you to do it with a cheerful heart. Number three, God loves happy givers. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, a decision of the mind and the heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. At Christmas time, my kids came along sitting on the couch and they made all these arts and crafts and they gave me this stuff. And I have to say, it's like, I can't even remember exactly what they gave me. But it was some little stuff that they made. My five-year-old had made something. You ever had a, you know, your daughter comes home from school or your son and they're little kids and they bring you this little stuff that they made or from church. And you're like, oh, thank you. What is it? And they tell you and you're like, thank you. Imagine if I was like this when my, my daughter comes home after church and she hands me something. I say, yeah, thank you so much. And I open the trash and I just throw it in there. Okay, let's get to the next thing. My heart, my, my daughter's heart would just be like, man. My daughter is excited when she gives me something. Her, she's excited to give me something. And as a father, I receive that and I love that. When you give towards God, it brings joy to him. I love this verse because it helps me understand it. God gets excited about our generosity because it's an indication that we're partnering with him to accomplish great work. It's an invitation to walk away from materialism and submit ourselves to the master. It's an invitation to walk away from discontentment and get content in Christ. It's an invitation to trust God as the Lord of the harvest that he provides everything. And so... God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it. He loves uh, when we're happy in our giving and you can't be happy. Here's my hope that you understand. If you're making impulsive, irrational decisions in the heat of the moment, that's not glorifying to God. What's glorifying to God is being intentional in breaking a habit of spontaneity and just giving out of, out of uh, potential compulsion but out of a surrendered, obedient will to Christ day in and day out. Amen? It's just walking in faithfulness with him. He's, Jesus uh, had said this, and the early church repeated this, uh, says in the book of Acts, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. There's a greater blessing in giving than there is to receiving. The older I get as a father, 
I find out I find more joy in giving my kids Christmas presents than, uh, than I receive Christmas presents. Um, the Father's heart is the same way. Number four, we're gonna see in this text here this morning, God uses giving for every good work. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency. So he is sufficient. He is the Lord of the harvest. He provides. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord, the provider. In all things, at all times, that you may abound in every good work. What is every good work? There's thousands of good works that we could do. We could serve our neighbors. We could go on that mission trip. We could uh, end the foster care crisis. Like, what is every good work? I take it to mean and following the thought and the process of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10, it's the good work that God's planned for you as a Christian. It says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. God created you before the foundations of the earth for specific good works, meaning that there's a, when you dive into and you step into that mission trip or you step in and you give towards that hope offering, God has already been creating this invitation into greatness to give and towards good and godly purposes. It says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Big idea, God prepares us for every specific work he has planned by giving us the ability and the opportunity to do it through his local church. What is it that Paul means when he says that he, that, uh, that he is sufficient in all times that you may abound in every good work and that Christ Jesus has created you for good works? It means that the good works that you're presently connected with, bringing hope to the refugees in downtown Phoenix, strengthening that little church down there called Phoenix Bible Church. That's a good work. It's an invitation. And God has given you specific abilities and opportunities. Everything you've got at your work that you're doing, that you're good at, is an ability that God designed and created in you for not just for you, hear me on this, but for others and for him. And as you use your gifts and your abilities, you're stewarding, you're using your gifts and abilities and it all came from God. It wasn't, it's not you. He gave you that ability to do that. And the opportunities that come and every time there's a financial blessing or an opportunity that a ministry, you, you need to pray through and say, Lord, I need to make a decision in my heart with my mind as well, planning ahead of time and stewarding and saying, God, how can I be used to do a great deal of good? God's created you beforehand that we should walk in these. Every opportunity, every ability. It's interesting, God's established this church called North Valley. He's in the process of uh, opening up a nine-acre campus. That's unheard of for our church, a church of this size and what God's doing in the North Valley. We're gonna redeem that ground. We're gonna use that as an, a place of influence and God's using your giving. He's using your service to help fuel that. That's a great legacy to have. Number five, generous giving is the evidence of eternal righteousness. Paul says this, I used to think this uh, verse indicated was a description of Christ, but I've come to understand it more clearly in the Psalms. It's an example of generosity of a wealthy person who gives generously with compassionate, generous giving. 
It says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. As it is written, referring to it's been written in the past, the apostle Paul refers to the psalmist. He has distributed freely, meaning that's generous, sacrificial, uh, mercy giving, compassionate giving. He is given to the poor. This individual Paul highlights uh, is giving towards the poor. And he says his, his righteousness will endure forever. What is righteousness? Righteousness means be to be made right with God. When you become a Christian, you, you, you give God your sin and he gives you righteousness. As you grow as a Christian, you experience more and more his righteousness day by day. Your, your character is being transformed into the image and the nature of Christ. You're becoming more and more like him. When you die and you go to heaven, you experience a full transformation and completely righteous. And here in the text is generous giving is this evidence of this eternal righteousness. My encouragement to you as a church is to take up a challenge. I want to encourage you to give evidence of your eternal righteousness. At this point in time, I'm not calling uh, you today to give more to the church. I'm actually calling you to do what this text says in verse 9. Let's give to the poor. Let's be free about it. Let's give to the poor. Let it be an evidence of our righteousness. There are over 200 children in Dominican Republic, which we're going to be sending a mission team back this summer. And I want to show you a video of these kids. And I want to challenge you to consider sponsoring one of these kids. These kids uh, do not have uh, clean water and the proper food and the nutrition. And by sponsoring one of these kiddos, um, you'll give them a lot of hope, bringing hope to the hopeless. And so the hope offering uh, contributes towards that as well. If you haven't given towards that and you want to give towards the hope offering, today's the last day. But specifically, I'm asking you to consider sponsoring a child in need from the Dominican Republic. Here's a short video of a gal in our church that's leading up the mission trip. She shares her story about uh, her experience last summer and the girl that she sponsored. Check this out. My name is Christina Harvey, and last summer I went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic with North Valley Community Church, and I would like to tell you how amazing it was. This was my first mission trip, so from the moment I decided to go, I felt God's presence, and my faith in God was strengthened. I began to pray more and ask people to pray for me, for God's favor and blessings to be able to go on this trip. Once I arrived in the Dominican Republic, I was greeted by a culture of people that are so warm and loving. People that were willing to be vulnerable and in great need of our support to show God's love and mercy and hope. My favorite things from the trip last year were worshiping and praising God with other believers and playing with the little children. Um, the children were ages two to 16. We did vacation Bible school in an, um, one of their after-school programs. Um, I just fell in love with so many children. My husband and I, we sponsored a little girl. She's 10 years old. Her name is Laermi, and she is so special to us. I am looking forward to going back to the Dominican Republic this summer, and I pray that you join us. <laughs> Muy bien. 
And we celebrate what Christina is doing. That's exciting. Yeah, she signed up to lead that team. So she's going to be leading that team uh, this summer. My wife and my daughter are actually going to go along with that. And we've sponsored a child as well. And I just want to encourage you on the bottom of your program, the take home is this, is that let, let's, let's sponsor uh, a child in need uh, this year. I want to encourage you to try to do that if you can, not encouraging uh, impulsive decisions, but to take this home, think about it, pray about it. Go to the Vision Trust website and you'll see there's 13 kids right now that are in need to be sponsored. My, my hope would be is, man, could we wipe that out? Could, could we as a church like take care of all those kids? And then when we get there, they say, are you the church? Are you the church? We're that Corinth church that had the wealth that really took the opportunity to bring hope to the hopeless. So I want to encourage you, you can go on the website, visiontrust.org. None of it goes towards North Valley. It goes towards meeting those specific needs of those poor and needy children. Let it be an evidence of our righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so let's do this. We're going to stand together. We're going to worship. Worship is the fuel for mission. Worship is what gives us the, the, the encouragement to go out and to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. So let's worship together as we close out the service. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.